It's nice to be back home for this great celebration, which was so much a part of my youth. In fact, I hope I don't get distracted during this Mass just looking around, because I was here so much in my youth that every corner of this church is filled with so many memories. Although I will admit, with respect to this feast, in my younger days I was much more enthusiastic about what went on out there <laughs> as opposed to what went on in here. After all, at the carnival I had a chance to win a new album at the record booth. I always remember that. Some of you young people might not know what a record is. Right? You can ask your parents after Mass. As many of you know, my second home now is in Westerly, which to some people in Barrington, like my good Aunt Louise, is on the other side of the universe. <laughs> I've been there 18 years. My aunt says she's going to visit me soon. <laughs> she's been saying that for 18 years. In all fairness, some people in Westerly have come up to me and they have said this. Where is Barrington? <laughs> you might think we lived in California. Westerly, of course, is where Father Frank Judis is from, who built this church and who has meant so much to this particular parish. In fact, it's thanks to him that I'm here this morning. He's covering for me down at St. Pius. He's doing my 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Masses today. It's interesting how God works things out. I was his altar boy here for many years in the 1960s. Now he works for me, <laughs> at least on a part-time basis down there, in his quote-unquote retirement, which really is not retirement. Although I've been away from Holy Angels for quite some time, and from this feast, I should tell you that I have been a part of a yearly celebration in honor of the Blessed Mother down there in Westerly. Every year in July, the neighboring parish, Immaculate Conception, has a huge uh, celebration, a huge procession on the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. It's usually on the hottest day of July every year. It always seems to fall on that date. When I march in that one, I always think of the one here at Holy Angels. Thankfully, though, this one's a lot shorter down there. It's three and a half miles, which on the hottest day in July is not a lot of fun. I mention this this morning for a reason. It's because I want to make clear to all of you in this homily why celebrations like these are so important and why they need to be preserved and why they need to expand it's because of what Mary can do for the world by her powerful intercession before the throne of God. It's because of what Mary, and I dare say perhaps only Mary, can do for the cause of world peace. We know what's going on right now in Lebanon and in Israel. We know what's been going on for a long time now in Iraq all too long in Afghanistan, in the Sudan, and in many other parts of the world. And we re remember all too well the sad and tragic events of September 11, 2001. The world has been experiencing what many have called a clash of civilizations. And that's a very good term to describe it. A clash of civilizations. It's been extremely violent. And it seems to be getting worse. 
every day, in spite of the efforts of many people of goodwill who are well-intentioned, which I think begs the question, is there any hope? Can anything be done to change this situation and establish peace in particular with the Muslim world? Or is this just the way it's going to be from now on? Is this what we will leave? Is this the kind of world we will leave for our children and for their children? Well, aside from the political and diplomatic efforts that must be made, I think there's something that all of us can do on a very practical level to help bring about positive change and to help establish peace, in particular with devout Muslims. We can take our personal devotion to Mary very seriously, more seriously than we ever have in the past. You know, it's ironic, in the past three or four decades, since when I was a little kid, it's been common to say that Mary should be ignored whenever we're dealing with people of other religious faiths, in particular Protestants, but others as well, because Mary somehow drives a wedge between us. But I've discovered, in my many years now, 49 of them, that in reality, the exact opposite is true. I've come to realize that Mary is actually the key to greater unity. She's not the one who divides us. She's actually the one who brings people together. Christians, Jews, and yes, even Muslims. Did you know, for example, that Muslims traditionally have had a deep regard for the Blessed Mother? I bet many of you didn't know that. Most Christians are totally unaware of it. She is mentioned over 30 times in the Koran. In fact, I was online last night, looked up the Koran. There's actually a chapter devoted to Mary. In some versions, it's Miriam, which is her Hebrew name. No other woman is mentioned in the Koran even once. And there she is described as virgin ever virgin. I mean, can you imagine that? The very doctrine that some liberal Christians and some liberal Catholics reject, the perpetual virginity of Mary, is believed by Muslims. Concerning his daughter Fatima, Muhammad, the founder of Islam, once said, she has the highest place in heaven after the Virgin Mary. I ask you this morning, is it a coincidence that in 1917 Mary appeared to three children in a place which was named after a Muslim convert to the Catholic faith? A woman who at birth had been named after Muhammad's daughter. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think it's a God incidence. In fact, a lot of Muslims today actually make personal pilgrimages to the shrine of Mary in Fatima, Portugal. That means that even as we speak, Mary, our Blessed Mother, is already bringing Christians and Muslims together in an atmosphere of peace. And don't you think that Mary can be a bridge between Christians and Jews? 
What better way to share the good news with somebody of the Jewish faith than to talk to them about the greatest human person, Jesus was a divine person, he's in a different category, than to talk to them about the greatest human person who ever lived, who happened to be a Jewish mother, one of their own, who was faithful to the Mosaic Law, as St. Luke makes crystal clear in his Gospel. And what about our Protestant brothers and sisters? It's been my experience that once devout Protestants understand what the Church, the Catholic Church, really teaches about Mary, it's been my experience that many of them fall in love with the Blessed Mother. And they realize that she is a great biblical role model for them. Why? Because committed Protestants are devoted to the Bible. They are devoted to God's written word, which is great. And they want to obey Jesus. Well, guess what? Mary, our Blessed Mother, was devoted to God's Word. And she wants people to obey Jesus. We see that in her two famous lines from Scripture. Be it done unto me according to your word, O Lord, and do whatever he, that is, Jesus, tells you. So you see, Mary is not a barrier as many have mistakenly believed all these years. She's actually a bridge. The bridge that I believe God wants to use to bring greater peace and unity to the world in the third millennium. And you know what? We have a precedent for this. We've already seen, historically, I believe, how Mary can have a decisive role in bringing peace to a potentially cataclysmic situation. Do you remember the Cold War? <laughs> Some of us do. Do you remember the threat that Soviet communism was to the security of this nation? Do you remember the fallout shelters? Do you remember all of that? The threat of nuclear annihilation. If I had said to you 30 years ago, that the Berlin Wall would come down and that so the Soviet Union would come to an end, if I had told you that would happen without a major military conflict of some sort, how would you have responded? Let's be honest about it. Most of you would probably have laughed in my face. And you would have said, oh, sure, Father Ray, nice thought, nice idea, but that's all it is. It will never happen that way. But it did. And even secular historians, secular ones, not church historians, even secular ones admit that one of the major players, if not the major player, in the peaceful collapse of the Soviet bloc, was none other than Pope John Paul II. And many of them maintain that the decisive moment for that collapse was in June of 1979. I had just graduated Providence College when the Pope went to his native land of Poland for the very first time. Do you remember it? Do you remember the Soviet puppet leader the communist leader of Poland at the time, General Jaruzelski. Do you remember him on the newscast? 
He was visibly shaking in the presence of John Paul II. Historians tell us that that papal visit sent shockwaves throughout the communist world and ignited what's been described as a revolution of conscience among the people. Because for the very first time, somebody had publicly confronted a communist leader on his own turf, and he had lived to talk about it. Not coincidentally, of course, John Paul II was intensely devoted to Mary. So much so that he took as his papal motto, totus tuus. In Latin, totally yours. Some people think that the Pope's motto was a direct reference to Jesus Christ. It was not. That was a reference to Mary. His motto meant, I'm totally yours, Mary. I am totally committed to Jesus Christ through you. At Fatima in 1917, the Blessed Mother told the world to pray the rosary for the conversion of Russia. I believe, and many others believe, that God combined the grace from all of those rosaries that were said for more than 70 years, and the grace from all the masses that were said during that time, with the actions of a pope who was intensely dedicated to the Blessed Mother, and he used all of that to put an end to an oppressive, evil, godless form of government in Eastern Europe that had been responsible for the deaths of millions of people in the 20th century. As Peter Cetera put it in a song that was very popular in the 1980s, just goes to prove what one good woman can do. Especially when the woman in question happens to be the mother of God. Do you see, my brothers and sisters, why this feast is so important? Do you see why this tradition and others like it need to be maintained? And even more personally, do you see why you need to have a devotion to Mary and why you should be praying the rosary or at least a decade or two of it every day without exception. It's because of what this heavenly woman can do for our world and what she will do for our world if we ask and if we continue to ask in faith every day.